They just rode on the back of Paul and destroyed those or attempted to destroy those that Paul did all the work and God used Paul to do that work to bring about salvation and bring up and plant those churches. And they would just come on the wave of that. Nothing productive. And it's interesting because that's like Satan. Satan is not a builder, a creator, a producer. Satan is what? A destroyer. He takes away. He destroys things. And so here Paul is. He's, he's on a mission to plant churches, to preach the gospel, to bring people into salvation. And he is very effective. And then Satan comes and uses people to destroy his work. That's so Satan. God wants us to be fruitful. We are in the Lord. We are builders. We are those who make things better. We are those who um, make things where there weren't things. We are those who um, are fruitful in the work of the Lord. And then Satan's just the opposite. So that's another good way to understand a false teacher. They try to take. A true teacher gives. So Paul makes a point about that. And again in verse 12, he says, but what do I do? I will continue to do. That I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. So they just wanted all the credit for the things that Paul did while they're destroying the things that God did. Verse 13, for such are false apostles. That's what they are. That's what they do. They're deceitful workers and they transform themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is of no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. So false teachers, they come, false apostles, in a way where there's something about them that will give us a glimmer of maybe they are of God. That's how they come. They don't, come as forward as you would often think. They come with a form of godliness. They come with light. It says they come with righteousness. They come in a, an appealing way. So really, so how do we know? Well, the Bible says we can't judge things on the outward appearance. Many of these false Ministers are very pleasing to the ear or the eye, and they might be funny and just enjoyable to listen to. 
but it's always the word of God that tells the difference. And it's always, if they're trying to get from us, then that's usually an indication that's false. If they're using their platform not to, to give of themselves to others sacrificially, but instead to get from others, then that's a false minister or a false gospel. That's exactly what the prosperity gospel does. This seems like a good description of the prosperity gospel. That's exactly what they do. The prosperity gospel is basically a pyramid scheme. And it's the pastor on top that gets rich from all of those in the pyramid. And the way he does that is he says, well, if you all have enough faith, you'll give to me showing your faith. So it all goes up, but nothing goes down. And they use and twist scriptures and you see, and they have to put on uh, an act like they're rich. They have to drive expensive cars, wear expensive suits because they have to show the people, this is what your faith does. If you have faith like me, you'll look like me. You'll drive things like me. You'll own things like me. And that's a false doctrine. That's a false gospel. But there are, there are many, that's just one I'm, I'm pointing out, it's really obvious. But there are many false gospels, false teachers, and false churches. Now, the question is, are we able to tell the difference? Can you tell the difference? If you went into... a Barnes and Noble, and you went into the, I don't know, they call it religious section or the Christian section, and you start looking through books, would you think, well, it's in the Christian section, so probably okay. When I go to those sections, the hair on the back of my head stands up. I have a hard time finding a, a, a book that I would recommend that I would want to take home and read. If you were to peruse uh, the churches, a lot of the churches around, you'd walk in, you'd be, I would think, pretty alarmed. You would find that this is a rarity in many churches. That should be a sign. That should be a, a warning. And so we live in a time where this is very serious and it's very pertinent and relative to what we're looking at. So again, the two things are, it's the Word of God and being surrendered to the Word of God. And when we're surrendered to the Word of God, then that means we're living our life by faith according to the Word of God. So we're not just doing our own thing. When we just do our own thing, we're vulnerable to false teaching, to false leading, to making bad decisions, to being filled with Satan's promptings using our um, emotions, using our incorrect thinking patterns as he deceives us into making wrong decisions and wrong choices. And, and it's, it all comes back to just this, the simplicity of are we surrendered to God's word practically in every area of our life? Do we think and know and understand that God's word is sufficient? We don't need anything else. 
Is it enough? Can we tell the difference? Do we get checks in our heart? Do we get a little alarmed? Do you ever feel like, oh, man, this is something really feels wrong and weird? And then you're able to go to the Word of God and, and see why. This is what Paul is dealing with specifically. So in verse 16... He says, I say again, let no one think me a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool, that I also may boast a little. So he's going back to the folly and boasting thing. He's saying, I, I'm, I'm having to deal with this issue because those false teachers are boasting a lot. They're boasting in their popularity, in their numbers in their amount of money that they're getting and they're they're boasting in all of these things and while they're boasting they're saying look at little old Paul like he's just nothing he doesn't have all these things he must not be legitimate so in verse 17 he says what I speak I speak not according to the Lord but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting seeing that many boast according to the flesh I will also boast so he's using sarcasm again and he's saying this is what your guys are boasting about so I'm going to boast he says for you put up with fools gladly since you, you, you yourselves are wise Sarcastic. For you put up with, with it if one brings you into bondage. This, this is what these false teachers were doing. And notice the word, they're putting up with it. That means they're allowing it. That means that we have a responsibility. That's what that means. We have a responsibility. He's not saying, well, you're off the hook because you just didn't know and you know, you're vulnerable. He's saying, look, you put up with this. That's on you. He, he, would, he would have taught them what to look for, what to know, what to understand, and not to receive any doctrine other than what they have been taught. So they put up with it, verse 20. And if one brings you into bondage, so there it is. So false teaching is generally going to be something that brings someone into bondage to someone or something. Legalism, rules, dependence on the church or the church rules or the church traditions in order to be right with God. Things like that. So they're being brought into bondage. When Paul came, he brought a message of a freedom in Christ. And now these false teachers are bringing them back in a, probably a works-based righteousness type of thing. He says, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you in the face, so they're actually doing that. 
So these false teachers, it kind of shows you the kind of control that they would have and they, they would teach. And that was something fairly common in that culture where there would be a teacher and if the pupil wasn't getting it, they would slap them in the face, kind of like what I've heard like nuns in school where they have a ruler and they, you know, I, I didn't go to Catholic school, but that's, you know, that just what people think about that. But they would actually slap them in the face and say, hey, you're not doing what we said or you're not learning what we're teaching correctly. And then they would, so it's kind of abusive, kind of heavy handed, but they're okay with it. He says in verse 21, that was to your shame. He says, I, I say that we were too weak for that. So we didn't come slapping you around. And you're seeing that as weak. But in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. So then now, Paul starts to really brag. If anybody could brag, Paul should be able to brag. I mean, much of our New Testament is written by him. Most everybody in the world knows who the Apostle Paul is. Our faith is very much dependent on God's working in Paul's life and bringing to life the teaching of Paul. He planted churches all over the place and he, he could have started getting a calculator out and saying, this many people got saved, this many people got saved, this many people, I have this many people at this church, this many funds in this church. This, and that's, that's what was going on with the false teachers. But look, what, look at Paul's boasting. In verse 22, he says, in regards to those false apostles, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? That's what they are bragging about. We're Hebrews, we're Israelites. Paul says, so am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. Why is he saying that? He's saying he's more of a minister of Christ because he's not taking credit and boasting about himself. Isn't that more the model that Christ gave? Isn't that more like what Christ did when he came? So now he really goes into his bragging. In labors... More abundant. I, wor I worked more than anybody. The false prophets would have everybody work for them. They wouldn't work. Everybody would work for them. In stripes or whippings, floggings, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, often. One account in the book of Acts, Paul was stoned and taken out of the city for dead, and he came back to life. 
So just stop there for a second. And, and we think, so now we get an idea of, of what Paul's bragging in. He's bragging in suffering. He's not glory, glorying in himself and in worldly things, but he's glorying in the Lord. He's demonstrating what happens when people walk by faith. This doesn't always mean, and none of us are, have gone through these things like this, but would we be willing to? If we followed the Lord and walked by faith, would we, we be willing to do that? Or is our faith more wrapped around what we, can, what we think we can get out of it? Many people, I've recently, recently heard someone tell me that they go to a particular church to find their husband. That's why they're going to the church. Not our church. But that's why they're, they're, and they said, that's why I'm going to this particular church, even though this particular church is not real, really teaching the right things, but I'm going there so I can get married. Because that's where a lot of single people go to church. So I'm going there for that reason. That's, that's not what we do. You don't go to church for that reason. You go to church for the Lord. He takes care of all that stuff. He takes care of his people. Remember, he withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. He's not going to withhold things. You, you don't need to find a compromising church with a lot of people your age so that you can get married. It's probably not going to go too well either if you're meeting somebody like that. That's a whole other thing. I know people that go to particular churches to network. And they, they, they hope that they can grow their business through the type of people that are there and the amount of people that there are, all kinds of things like that. And Paul is saying, look, my boast is in suffering. Paul really went through all these things, but we have to see this and say, well, I, I walk by faith and my allegiance is to the Lord and I follow him. Whatever that means and whatever happens subsequent to that doesn't, matter. I still follow the Lord. I don't use suffering or lack of suffering as a gauge for what I do. Does that make sense? We do that a lot. I hear that all the time. It must not be the Lord because it's, this is hard. It must not be the Lord because I'm being stripped of everything. Go back and read this. This is what it looks like. This is what faith looks like. This is what authentic Christianity looks like. Verse 24, from the Jews five times, I received 40 stripes minus one. 40 stripes or whippings or floggings. 40 was enough to kill a person. 39 was at the point of death, just before death. Did that stop them? Did that stop you? Will that stop me? Something to think about. Verse 25, three times. 
I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. He's talking about rocks being thrown at him. Three times, don't take it out of context. Three times I was shipwrecked. That, that is just three times. That one time shipwreck would be three times he was shipwrecked. Now, why would he, why would he, why did he keep doing that? He was shipwrecked because he needed to go in ships to go where God was taking him to share the gospel. So he didn't see that, well, maybe I shouldn't do that. He just saw this, God's telling me to, so I'm going to do that. And he understood that if he's following the Lord, then he would be invincible until the Lord is through with him. And that all those shipwrecks created opportunities for him. And we, we see that in the book of Acts, at least one shipwreck. But the book of Acts just lists one shipwreck, but he actually had three shipwrecks. A night and a day I have been in the deep. So that's pretty crazy. He was in the middle of the ocean a whole night and day. That is amazing. Would that stop him? No. And do you remember in the book of Acts, he said, I don't count my life dear to myself so that I may run my race with joy. That was the secret. So he wasn't all worried about, I might get beaten, I might get stoned, I might get shipwrecked. I might. He had joy because all he cared about was God's will for his life. And he found great joy. If God's will was he shipwrecked, then he, he actually rejoiced in that. He was actually happy about that because it was God's will. Do you see a different value system? Different value system is the joy in God's will. If God's will is for us to, in some way, shape, or form, whether we lose our job or we got in a car wreck or we got sick or something like that, if, that, if that's God's will, we need to learn from Paul and say that's something we should rejoice in. Because if God's will is happening, that's something to rejoice in. That's a, a really something, isn't it? Really something for us to think about and meditate upon. In verse 26, in journeys, often, man, we go on, the, say we just, we go to Israel for 10 days and I'm completely wiped out when I get back. And that was Paul's whole life. And he didn't travel nice like we did. He traveled rough. I have a, talk about a man's man. Talk about a man of faith. That's, that's really admirable. He was just journeying. And you remember even he was so driven by the call of God that, that John Mark even couldn't handle it. And he went back and Paul was like, hey, if he can't handle it, I'm going on. Just, I, I can't be weighted down by somebody. He was a man on a mission. He was in perils, a lot of perils. Perils of water, waters. Perils of robbers. Perils 
of his own countrymen, perils of Gentiles, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, sleeplessness often, hunger, thirst, fastings often, cold and nakedness, besides the other things what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. So he lists all these things and then he gets to this place where he says he is deeply, constantly troubled and concerned about the welfare of all those churches that he planted. So he would be always praying, always concerned, always writing letters, always sending people, always deeply wanting these churches to be healthy, constantly thinking about it. That's, that's a shepherd's heart. That probably led to some of his sleeplessness. When someone's not doing well in the body, I know a lot of you, you won't sleep very well. If you get a, a prayer text or something and you know somebody in the body is having some trouble or something, a lot of you don't sleep well. Because you're, you're burdened by that and you're concerned about that. that. Paul was like that all the time with all these churches. Verse 29, Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? Paul is, is saying, I understand being weak. I have compassion on you. And he's saying, I am so fired up, mad, upset about these false teachers that are coming in and messing you up. In verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. So that's really the, the whole message of the whole book is God's strength through our weakness. That's what Paul's doing. And he's telling us that it's not the grandiose, materialistic, world-pleasing thing that has gotten that way because of compromise and selling out. But he's saying what is truly noteworthy is endurance in the Lord, continually, faithfully walking with the Lord, even if it means the loss of much in this world. Because the loss of much and the suffering of much means the gain of the things of God, the things of the Spirit, the intimacy with God and treasures in heaven. He's completely reversing the value system of what we should be looking at, of what it means to be successful in the Lord. Our job is to walk by faith, surrendering to the Lord and be obedient, regardless of what the cost may be. And that is what God sees as successful living, successfully living for God. When that value is turned over, 
And we even look at within Christianity or within faith, within the church, and we value the things that the world says are success. We put that on Christianity, then we are falling into this deception that we see in our text. And so, verse 31, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. And then he gives one last trial, which was actually his first trial in Acts chapter 9 in Damascus, which is in Syria. The governor under Eratos, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes, those people who lived in Damascus, with a garrison desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. Almost like he's remembering this one last thing. Oh yeah, remember when I first started out and I was going to be killed and they had to lower me out of the basket and I had to go on the run. What an amazing testimony. This is Paul's personal testimony. And so as we finish today, let us just consider the glory of suffering. And let us purpose in our heart that not only will we know, study, and learn the Word of God, but we will surrender to it and walk in obedience to it no matter what that may cost us personally. Because we will never put God in debt to us. But it is when we walk by faith, trusting Him, that we find the riches of Christ and not the other way around. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this night. I thank You for my brothers and sisters. I pray that Your Word would resonate in our heart and by the power of Your Holy Spirit, You would implant it in our hearts and in our lives. And I pray that, that we would see the glory of walking by faith and in obedience to you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, don't forget, tomorrow night is prayer here, 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock, corporate prayer. And uh, Sunday is prophecy update. So God bless you. And uh, Lord willing, we'll see you tomorrow or Sunday.